Welcome to the second episode of Parole. Today, I will introduce you to a fellow citizen, a Burundian changing the world in Lilongwe, Malawi, Didovara Shamaji. In his own words, he is an international citizen who thrives in the philanthropic world and has a mission to change the image of Africa in the media. Dedo is the Director of Innovation at Sigo Family Foundation. He is also an Obama Fellow and a BMW Responsible Leader. He talks about the opportunities to thrive on the continent. He shares the values of the Sigo Family Foundation. He also explains what is hindering some Africans in understanding the power of networking. Like most Burundians living abroad, we are polyglots, and for a minute, we reminisced about our home country. Enjoy. Hi, Dedo. Hi, hi, how are you? <laughs> What's up? It could, it's such a pleasure to, to speak to you again after last week. And yeah. before that, I think the last time we spoke was probably uh, seven, eight years ago in Burundi, uh, chez Jean-Michel on the, on, the, on the stair. Do you remember the staircase? <laughs> Gee, I thought it was at both place, but it's definitely similar, like either Jean-Michel or Bob's. So, oh, shoot, that's true, man. <laughs> We, we grabbed beer and then sat on the staircase, talked for long, long hours, and Jean-Michel never wanted anyone to go. And uh, I have really, really fond memories of that time. We were young, free, and had a lot of ideas. We still have. We do, but we'll have more maturity now and less expectations right. of people, I guess. More fun. So here's the reason why I called you up is because you have an interesting uh, background that I want to share with my fellow Burundians, but not only them, Africa as a whole and people as a whole, like people who are interested in business and in knowing what's happening in Africa, we don't have the traditional poverty mentality and whatever, uh, what media just show us. And as someone who's been living in France for 13 years, I wanted to show more because my background and my lifestyle is quite different from what people see. And I wanted to say, you know what, I'm not the only one. So if I can bring along people, Burundians, obviously it's uh, the good person. Who am I calling? It's you. Why you? Tell us more about what you do. Yeah. Um, what do I do? Maybe a quick intro, but I don't yeah. know what to say. Uh, it's so not Burundian because I'm speaking to you. Usually I have no problem doing this, <laughs> like, oh, this et cetera. Um, there's a, there's a there's a little click about being Burundian and not being not talking about yourself and etc. Mm. Uh, notre côté très modeste and um, mm. but I'll try to uh, challenge that. Yeah. Um, I am Dedo and Baron Chamage. I'm an international citizen, mm -hmm. uh, not a global citizen because you know the global sounds a bit like a cover for no deep roots anywhere. Uh, but I feel at home in uh, many countries. Uh, for the last uh, 10 years, I've lived across the world um, in Africa and US and in, in mm -hmm. Europe. And, but my loyalty is certainly in Burundi and in East Africa, which is where all my journey has uh, uh, started. Okay. I work uh, uh, at the intersection of public good and public interest, mm -hmm. public good and private interest. Damn, I thought you were gonna ask me what the heck is that? But uh, in the simplest, we'll get in simplest, into that. Uh, in simplest <laughs> terms, I work in the philanthropic sector. Mm -hmm. uh, my work is really to challenge the, set, the status quo and encouraging and supporting US and Europe-based uh, funders and entrepreneurs to rethink um, how they work in Africa um, in a way that is a little bit more mutual and that is more 
balance away mm -hmm. from the traditional and historical uh, colonial mindset and framework that guides how they uh, operate. Mm -hmm. um, but I um, think of myself as a, as a, as a connector and mm -hmm. I broke relationships between uh, philanthropists, investors, uh, governments, um, and visionaries across Africa, mm -hmm. um, but in a much more uh, formal way. I am the director of innovation at uh, Siegel Family Foundation. Mm -hmm. It's a foundation based in uh, New Jersey in uh, the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, also a BMW responsible leader and an Obama fellow. Come on, bring that up. This is not Burundian at all. <laughs> nobody speaks For someone who doesn't, who doesn't like. Because <laughs> actually I saw that on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, okay. Meaning, oh, yeah. you know, I've, I believe you're the only one, like uh, the only Burundian. Yeah? <laughs> I don't know, because anyway, but it's good to not to brag because uh, I have these two things because we're ladies and ladies don't even talk and then we're Burundian and oh. even friends here are still asking me like, what's your country about? I'm like, oh. Oh, you just have to travel and see, well, maybe not now, but in the near future, you <laughs> just have to travel. And for me, what I want to ask you is that, why don't we brag? Let's just talk about our culture for a second. Like, why don't we, you know, mm. do that knowing that, um, I understand the purpose of it because at the end of the day, humility is key, but it's really hindering us looking yeah. for jobs and talking about ourselves. Yeah. I think it's an, it's an interesting concept that has evolved over time. Huh? If you look at our ancestors, as you said, and pointed out very clearly and elegantly, Kivugamadzina was something that they did. It's the way you, you show up, it's the way you see yourself and your place uh, in, the, in the larger community. But Kivugamadzina was also uh, talking about Amadzina of your ancestors and ancestors as, as, as far as you can remember. Um, but I think that has been lost in the new world, in the transition from the traditional society that we were, where you were Kivugamadzina uh, with the people that, are, that you share commonalities and history and, uh, and so much more to with uh, colonization and the Catholic Church navigating a new way of operating, of doing business, of understanding our space mm. uh, that sort of deprived us of some of those aspects of the culture and identity uh, that really built us. So every time that someone has to navigate in a new culture and a new system, there's so many things that are lost, but also the confidence of saying mm. that. Um, and I think with that comes this idea also that is noble of not, uh, you're not supposed to brag about yourself. You're supposed to let others talk about you. Uh, it's, a, it's a value, it's a, it's a sign of, um, of elegance. Um, but I think that our society has stayed stuck in that a little bit, uh, rather than embracing the global world that requires different ways of engaging, different ways of connecting, different ways of creating one space um, and different ways of being visible, um, mm -hmm. that we are still catching up a little bit. But I see the younger generation sort of picking up. You see uh, right. all this through social media and different platforms where mm -hmm. Um, people like you and I, who are really close to the generation that was serving right after colonization, 
has um, un peu de retenue and mm -hmm. uh, the younger one doesn't really have that. The social media has given us an opportunity to connect widely and sometimes with loyalties, but it's actually um, contributing with some of those best uh, qualities that um, I was brought up with and uh, using that as a way to claim my space in presenting the difference and different ways uh, I can also contribute and add my voice to um, whatever is happening where I am. I think um, Leopold Sedar Senghor is the one who said... There was a sorry? bit of a problem. Can you say that again, what uh, Sedar Senghor, because there was a bit of a... Anyway. Oh, he said that we are rich of our uh, differences. Our beauty is okay. built in our differences. Mm -hmm. He says it in a much better way in French. I will send it to you, but I think it's something that really resonates with me everywhere I go. I think um, my difference uh, is, is my contribution um, mm -hmm. to um, whatever is happening. And right. also building myself also with the difference of others. Yeah. So how do you use that then through your work? Uh, through work is really in um, going in through values. Once mm -hmm. it has to be around Ubuntu, is my work fostering the idea of Ubuntu, of the collective, of mutuality and collaboration, um, is uh, how I show up with uh, more regards to um, hearing the unsaid, and is it in uh, spending time listening a little bit more? Because if you know very well, Burundians are not very talkative. We listen a little bit more, and then this has been uh, an asset for me to be able to uh, spend time listening and understanding before I contribute. Um, but it also comes in my work in this idea that in the space that I work in, there are not so many Africans, there are not so many young people, um, and it's me showing up um, as an outside to the system and being able to recognize the gaps and address them as someone who doesn't have that experience. Because if you have the experience of working in philanthropy or working in engineering, there are certain things that become a part of yourself that you can't question anymore. But coming in with a different um, perspective and background um, brings uh, depth uh, to an analysis on where the gaps are or what opportunities could be on different ways of engaging as well. So my work, as I said, is like around being a connector. Uh, it's brokering relationships. So this is, what, this is what I think I do best is in bringing uh, people together and figuring out language and common ground. Um, and that is something that I think I take, I take from Burundi in uh, our ability to, to listen a little bit more, to think about uh, uh, the togetherness and people um, and going from there. It's not business from the sake of business, but it's a business based on uh, mutuality and everyone being heard um, and um, where relationships um, have more depth than uh, yeah. uh, capital money. All right. So for those who don't know what uh, philanthropy is, other than hearing the words, because everybody's like saying activists, philanthropists, everybody's a philanthropist now, as long as you give money. What does that mean? Like for your foundation, it's a single foundation, single family, so it's a family run, um, operated. What does that mean? What does that look like? So philanthropy, according to the dictionary, no. Philanthropy <laughs> <laughs> is simply the love of the other and uh, of humanity. And uh, 
historically has been used uh, as a way to categorize and to represent uh, the people who have more, who are using the resource being time, money, and connections to the betterment of other people. Uh, philanthropists uh, have uh, historically been seen as people who are trying to do good. Yeah. And um, in our context, like in Burundi, people, people give what they have. They give advice, they provide attention and support. And in other places, people provide money or time as well. So um, philanthropy um, in my professional work uh, and through the lens of Seagull Family Foundation is using the capital of Seagull Family Foundation in uh, breaking barriers to African social entrepreneurs um, and in supporting them, in giving them capital, in giving them a community and in giving them connections that they need to succeed. Um, a little bit about Seagull Family Foundation. It's a foundation that is based in uh, the US and New Jersey, as I said, it was uh, started by Mr. Barry Seagull who is uh, an entrepreneur and a fellow entrepreneur. He built a large business that was uh, one of the uh, biggest in the US uh, early 2000. And when he sold it, he to give his wealth to philanthropy. He started like anybody else going to big conferences and finding uh, people that he could uh, donate to, to foster his idea of betterment of the world, focusing on education and healthcare. Um, and creating opportunities for young people to be productive. And as you can imagine, uh, when we're talking about the lack of diversity in those spaces, people who access those platforms and places are people who are wealthy themselves, are people who are often white, are people who are often men, and are people who are often not uh, the, the mainstream that we, we see in the, in the capital world. Um, and he thought that there was more, and then he decided to visit different countries in Africa. He went to Rwanda and he visited Malawi with his family and he made key observations that are still guiding his giving and the philosophy behind um, our work, which was that there's a lot of young people who have lots of ideas and lots of creativity, but that don't have access. Mm -hmm. And for him, it became very clear that this idea that opportunities are distributed, mm -hmm. sorry, that talents are distributed, but opportunities aren't, was real and was never been real uh, like, like the way he's seen it in Africa. And he also realized that the difference between perception and reality in Africa is huge. What you read in the news, in the media, is not a story of entrepreneurs, it's not the story of artists, it's not a story of uh, a certain member of government who's trying to push, it's a story <laughs> of PT, it's a story of, of charity. So he wanted yeah. to use his money to change that, to say, mm -hmm. can I find people who have good ideas and support them through giving them money and through connecting them one another and through bringing more other connections to center their work around them to see them grow. And then these are the ones who are gonna change the continent. Uh, so philanthropy in that sense is driving money, intellect, time, and expertise to support uh, African social entrepreneurs, which is something that I spend a significant amount of my time doing. Mm. Okay, so my, my question will be like, how then this man was able to see that and the other uh, NGOs or whatever you want to call them are still struggling because it's still a tough call for them to be like, oh, you know what, we have intellectuals in Africa. We have different social classes and obviously poverty is part of the, the of the narrative of the story, but it is not 
old, you know, how do you cope with talking with maybe partners or workers or like colleagues in sharing like what we do makes sense because we value the people on the ground. Basically, that's what you do. <laughs> it's just uh, at the end of the day is to say, hey, you're smart. You, you just need cash and you need connection. You know, network is a part of the thing we'll talk about um, in a few minutes. How come you're doing this and the others are doing something else? It's not to trust them, just for me to understand. Like it's so basic that I still don't get it. Like, yeah, I think it has to do with the values guiding your work. For him, it's about trust. Trust is a very important value. But for others, oftentimes, is the idea of helping the poor. Those are two different things. And I wanted to share with you a very good quote that I like around this. Uh, it's when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees. And some of them are, are bent and some are, then, are, are, are straight. And some of them are evergreens and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You appreciate it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light. So it turned out that way. And you don't get all the emotional about it. Just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. You are constantly saying, you are to this, you are to that, you are less of this, you are less of that. Judging mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. And this is something that is missing in the way that foreign aid and traditional mm -hmm. philanthropy has worked. It's seeing uh, ourselves removed from others. It's us who have the money and the power and others who are poor and yet, and, and then we have to uh, help them. Mm. We have to do things for them rather than actually creating opportunities so, so that they can themselves self-determine. Mm. And I think that, that idea of trust and self-determination plays a really, really key role in how uh, philanthropy, foreign aid, and, and, and foreign policy works. Uh, people who are driven by trust, trusting others that they're going to make good decisions, they're going to share power, they're going to share resource. But if you mm -hmm. don't trust the others to make good decisions, you have to be really be controlling and decide how they're supposed to live and etc. I think that's really a small difference, but that changes how uh, we work and serve. It's really rooted in the idea that people know what's best for them, that what mm -hmm. we need to do is to create opportunities for them to self-determine. Wow, okay. Looks like I want to work there. Uh, that's amazing. You are welcome. You are welcome. This is amazing because it's so basic. I remember, let me give you this uh, thing. This is a bit sorry. I was in Geneva like uh, I think 10 years ago and I was on the tram. I was with a couple of friends, couple like a couple of friends who are now married and they had been to Burundi. So we're in the tram like, ah, oh, Burundi, yeah, how is it? Da, 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 catching up and everything. And then at some point there's like this ad and it was UNICEF. And it was about this kid in Africa with a fly. I mean, the whole cliche, I wanted to cry. And I think we were like stopping downtown Geneva. And I was like, oh, shoot, like this is, and it's not the Burundi they so. It's not to say that it's non-existent, but it's like, when you speak about New York, you usually don't talk about the crazy towns. You speak about Manhattan. So for me, I was like, come on. I mean, come on. 10 years later, still the same struggle. I have to explain that uh, we have electricity, 
we have water, and we, have, we do have internet, although it crashes sometimes, but it is what it is. But Alex, let me tell you something. This is why your work and what you're doing with this podcast is really, really important. We have to start investing in creating new stories, building mm -hmm. stories, inspiring stories. When I'm in New York, when I'm in DC or elsewhere, I get shocked to see similar signposts that say one in six children in America is hungry. But this doesn't make the news. It's like on our end, it's a, it's a story that the world dominating wants to see, to justify why then they're present uh, in Africa. In Africa for the last, I don't know how many years, has been yeah. the, the playground where the geopolitics are at play. And before it used to be just Europe and America, but now you have Asia in. Um, which is a, a challenge, but at the same time, a huge, huge opportunity because it means in Africa we have uh, now um, the negotiating and bargaining power. We used to be only one-on-one, -on -one, the Western bloc, European, US and Africa, but now you have Asia and then you're seeing uh, African governments and entrepreneurs having a leeway to negotiate, which I think is really, really, really beautiful. But it has to come with changing mindsets and changing the narratives and building it in in, in reality, in the reality yeah. that people can believe in. I mean, let's do that. I'm, I'm glad I'm starting this, but I hope I'm not the only one. Uh, so about the work you do, the public good, what does that mean? Because I'm in the private sector and I love what I do in the private sector. Uh, how do you connect those two? Because usually it's kind of a war, but you know, the other one has money, the other one has people. The other, I mean, you know what it is, but Right. How do you connect those two in, uh, like, give us examples of what kind of projects you may have worked on and so on? Um, the public good. Public good uh, is certainly around public service and um, public safety. Um, it's around uh, schools, it's around education, it's around healthcare, it's around uh, better agriculture, it's around access to technology. It's all the things that the public needs. And for me to work in that space, I need to convince and to bring in uh, capital, and which comes from the private sector and the private interest and trying to figure out a way to make it work. Um, so we have seen in the last uh, couple of years, lots of money, philanthropy has grown very much with people like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and, and others, Jack Ma, who are, have made so much money, but who are also figuring out ways to use that money to foster not only business, but really public good. How do you um, invest in education that really provides value to, uh, to children, that gives them the confidence and the critical thinking to be productive mm -hmm. and to create? And how do you create healthcare that is comprehensive and that is affordable, that affords people uh, access to, to health? And how do you invest in agriculture? Uh, yada, 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 yada. So, I spend much of my time uh, finding and working with entrepreneurs who are working in the public uh, good and the public space, uh, who are either non-profits and uh, on the other hand, working with investors and, and, uh, and philanthropists, be it in Africa, in the US or in Europe, and soon uh, in Asia, who are interested in the public good as well. You put uh, to enter together and you allow a space for co-creation. So something that I'm interested in, in is not bringing money uh, specifically or bringing people with ideas. It's bringing people with money and ideas to sit around and to understand 
the biggest challenges and the nuances and the complexity and to together think about co-creation and co-design of programs, services and products that create value uh, in the public uh, sector. Uh, around education, we have seen uh, lots of people now uh, coming up with ways to um, digitalize education with e-learning and people who are thinking about teacher training cu um, curriculum and uh, figuring out ways to deploy education uh, not only for people who can afford it, but to people who um, are in the last miles using private uh, capital or government um, incentives. Um, and we have seen people who are uh, thinking about ways you take healthcare uh, in the last miles and closer to the people in uh, most African countries where we have a really, really shortage of health services and health professionals, uh, figuring out ways to use technology to um, provide information and to provide training to people who historically and professionally are not uh, your health professional, but who have the proximity to the people and who can act as a broker uh, in collecting health outcome before we continue uh, building health uh, platforms and infrastructure. And there are people who do this around agriculture as well. Uh, Africa is a continent that has a really, really good climate and weather uh, compared to the rest, but we're still dying of hunger. And how do you bring in people who are trying to help uh, farmers uh, learn the techniques and have access to inputs, have access to uh, storage and have access to markets and have access to uh, pensions and to insurance, really building systems around education, healthcare, agriculture, and technology in a way that continues to create um, value um, and outcome for, uh, for the public. Um, so currently with the Sickle Family Foundation, we support close to uh, a little over 200 social entrepreneurs across, um, across Africa. Mm -hmm. And we don't uh, choose sectors. We're interested in finding leaders, in finding visionaries who are gonna continue to think more broadly around how to end those problems. It's uh, oftentimes the people who start a small after-school program, but realize that actually why we need after-school program is that teachers don't have the resources and the training that is required and adding a teacher training and figuring out that this is not enough. How do you take this to scale and trying to bring in technology in a way that uh, is going to be inclusive and holistic. Mm -hmm. um, and of them, they, they grow so very much that they also start uh, thinking about system change because um, some of these issues in the public space are there because there's something at the policy level with the government that is not working yeah. and that the, that the private sector is not necessarily uh, solving. Uh, the private sector uh, first mission is to make money and probably with corporate social responsibility starts looking into social issues and governments um, are government they're supposed to create um, uh, spaces and, and rules and regulation taxation um, and entrepreneurs then are a renewed opportunity for us to uh, also act in change making, in bringing people who have an expertise in the public space, but also who are very creative and who are building organizations and uh, enterprises that are going to solve on one hand social issues, but on the other uh, create um, uh, economic models and business models that are going to continue to be self-reliant and very sustainable away from the traditional NGO where it's just about getting money, using mm -hmm. the money without creating value. And uh, I think it's the biggest opportunity because I've heard a couple of weeks ago that the aid economy has become the economy in Africa. So now these social entrepreneurs are trying to change that narrative, similar to the work that you're doing. Wow, that's crazy. 
That's yeah, it's true. But I, I've, I mean, ew, aid economy. I have a problem with the aid economy because I guess not, not like a, as a capitalist because at the end of the day, you know that it's not working. I, I think we have so many examples in Africa. Although I have to give a kudos to Rwanda and the, the government, they know how to to do things differently. They just say that. So I want you to speak to not only Burundians, obviously, because there's so many Burundians like anywhere in the world, in Europe, in, in Canada, uh, who maybe have like, like an idea of going back to Burundi or going back to Africa, the continent. Um, and they wanna, you know, like wanna start working there because most of them it could be computer scientists. It could be, a, I don't know, electrician, like, I don't know, an architect. They still work there. How can you like include them and be like, guys, there's opportunities. Obviously it's gotta be different from Canada, but the way though is fine. They're just, you know, I don't know. How would you be able to tell them like, this is happening. This, there's something happening on the continent because we have an overview of the whole continent and let's do this. Let's come, you may not be working for the Family Foundation, but there is so much opportunities. How would you give this, yeah. You know, I think um, personally, I'm so committed to this continent and I'm so inspired by its people and stories and resilience. Malgré the fact that I was saying before, there is a continent that has seen a lot from slavery to colonization to neocolonization, which are the things that I don't want to go into and dwell on before uh, a lot, but that have really affected the continent. And Africa now has completely changed. Uh, it becoming a little bit more urban. Uh, there are the cities are growing. Uh, Africans who idealize the idea of living in Europe and the US are now coming back to be part of change. Mm -hmm. um, they're creating uh, opportunities and solutions. Uh, some who are still in the diaspora, they're sending money. Um, mm -hmm. And there was an interesting, an interesting fact uh, two, three years ago, I think, when they realized that actually the amount of money that Africans in the diaspora sent to the continent was two times more than the whole aid economy. Wow. That's mind blowing. You know, it means we can literally move away from that. And um, we are seeing uh, new actors and historically that we haven't seen before, as I was saying before, uh, with the, um, the, the presence of China and Asia in, in, in Africa, creating different sorts of access. So all these are things that are showing how Africa's configuration is changing from its people, from the kind of resource that is coming in, mm -hmm. from the kind of access that is coming in. And I think all these things should really inspire uh, all of us to really think a little bit more radically around mm -hmm. the idea of what we want for our countries and for ourselves, and to really take advantage of all these opportunities and the connections and expertise that we have gathered over the years and the resilience uh, to really think about new economies and to really think about new ways of doing business. And there's lots of opportunities out there to uh, rely on. <coughs> um, and I think another thing that is really inspiring, you know, statistics shows that um, between now and 2050, mm -hmm. Africa is going to be the largest population uh, in the world. Not only the largest population, but also the youngest. This is a huge opportunity. It's market tester because that's where the future is. And we are also seeing with COVID nineteen how we on uh, bell the pandemic, uh, and you're seeing now people uh, rethinking uh, the uh, 
flirt between what is global and then what is local. Many economies were relying on, on, on outside and regional uh, networks and economies. Like in Burundi, you have a lot of products coming in from Rwanda and from Kenya. Mm. But people realize that, oh, we can't do this anymore. We have to rethink about how we do our own economy. So I'm seeing this in Malawi where I live right now, where uh, entrepreneurs are really, really stepping up and uh, filling those gaps around supporting uh, farmers to continue to produce the food because they can't rely on the food coming in from Zambia and Africa. And where people in the healthcare are coming up with models to decongest healthcare systems and, and infrastructure because not everyone can go to the, to the, to the, to the hospitals and figuring out ways to play around uh, that idea mm. and um, I would say really that the trend is our friend and this should really inspire um, all of us Africans uh, wherever we are that there is so much to be done and that we have what it takes mm-hmm. we have the uh, knowledge we have the expertise when you have the experience and the history yeah. um, of how to do this in a much more uh, synchronized fashion and I think now there's an opportunity to really start thinking about you know similar to what you do uh, creating linkages and connecting mm-hmm. ideas and finding all these communities of purpose that are spread across US, Europe, Africa, and Asia mm-hmm. uh, who are working towards the same idea. Yeah. Changing narratives, no matter how you want to do it. You use uh, media, uh, you create podcasts that tell stories. Mm-hmm. I use uh, uh, capital and money and connections to really shift where the attention should be. There are people in the art sector who are um, working so hard to put the arts and uh, um, at, at the global markets. There are people around uh, the, the, the engineering industry or the creative sector who are also working so hard. It's how do we unite all those um, uh, ideas and, and, and efforts? Um, and I think it has to do with um, how visionaries are going to start creating and using technology, really platforms that allows people to be seen and to highlight the good work that is happening, but also to deploy capital. Right now, there's a lot of fun in the US and Europe. Why can't we create a a, a fund that supports all this sort of growth? How can we start thinking about ways to engage people and and Africans all over the the place and wherever they are and to show them how they can contribute in the safest way, in the most transparent and mostly, mostly, most accountable. And all those pieces are around. We have incubators, we have accelerators, we have people in the media, we have people who are working in the financing sector. It's to really put No, it's got to Wow. I, I just want to talk uh, to finish this because it's interesting how uh, you talked about the network. And for me, as we talked last night, last time, it's amazing how little network it is among Africans. Um, and for me, I grew up this way. I grew up not networking, but knowing that there is a person here who can help you out in this city, in that, in this country. And they like, you come, you go abroad, you're like, you always have a Burundian somewhere. How do you have to deal with this kind of, because I asked you this question last time as well. I said, do people, your friends, not obviously not your close friends, know what you do? Because this is amazing. I mean, I'll be your friend. I'll be like, eh, you know, highlighting. People are so proud of having a Michelle Obama around. And I'm like, we do have our own Obamas at home. Like for me, we, you, you know what I mean? Like we grew up having mothers being like ministers and my mom is a lawyer and my dad is an economist. And yeah. I never really did like realize like I don't have the African American mentality, so I don't need to shift to do that one. 
I have the African mentality where we have a community and we connect and we speak and we, we grow together. We kind of, I hope, we try to push each other up, you know. How do you have to deal with the lack of understanding maybe uh, of networking in, uh, among Africans? Um, I think it has to do with something that you started talking about, the uh, stepping out and being seen and being heard. Um, that is oftentimes confused with being arrogant. Um, <laughs> and networking is really about stepping out uh, your comfort zone and connecting. And you have to connect through stories and you have to connect through uh, expertise and it has to be with an idea uh, that you're selling or, or that you're interested in learning about. We haven't uh, been taught to do that because we come from uh, um, a safe, traditional, bureaucratic society that was not very complex. You finish school like your parents, you're a minister here, you lead a bank there, or you're a lawyer, and, or, or you're a teacher, or you do business. That was it. But with our generation, things have become a little bit more complex. There are new jobs that have to be created. There's uh, the hospitality industry that has to come in. There's technology. There is all sorts of um, new sectors that are opening up that we're trying to get into, but yet we haven't been trained yeah. uh, to really navigate that space. And uh, you see people who have stepped out uh, their comfort zone, their, where they were born, where they're from to be elsewhere having to learn how to connect in order to survive. And that's what in a sophisticated language we call networking and, and et cetera, mm -hmm. is the ability to uh, reach out to the others, to connect um, in order to achieve uh, something or in, in order to uh, have human relationships. Um, oftentimes for uh, societies that did not have to move or, or change, um, networking is not necessarily a big forte. Uh, because everyone knows one another and you know what to get what you need. But as societies and cities grow, um, the configuration in terms of people, in terms of sectors of work uh, change and require a little bit more work connecting and reaching out to others. Um, but that's not necessarily uh, uh, our strength. Uh, yeah. And it's something certainly that people are learning to do how. People are traveling and realizing what needs to happen. And either now people are connecting via social media and there's yeah. tools to be like, oh, wow, this is, these are the things that we need to start doing now. It's not, it's not enough. I'm not just going to step out and everyone is going to say, oh, this is so and so from here and there. You have to create your, your brand and your profile yeah. um, to be recognized. And, but, but I'm glad people are learning how to do that. And, you know, thanks to the things that you're doing, also, you know, participating in the, uh, making that a little bit more concrete and accessible uh, at scale, um, mm. which is exciting. We'll see. We'll see what people, how do how they use this. So if they want to get in touch with you, I guess it's uh, exactly what I did for LinkedIn. That works. So send a message. And uh, yeah, hopefully more people you get to mentor, more people in understanding what's happening in Africa and how how to grow and how to get, because I miss, I miss Burundi. I've traveled to Addis this, uh, this year and I drank maybe two, maybe 200, no, maybe like two liters of milk, of real milk. And I was like, I miss home. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> I guess, this, and I was there for like 72 days, 72 hours. And I was like, I really miss home. So it's different. People need to understand. And I understand that. It's just that I, next year we'll see what's going to happen. But to include people, like 
it's not only for Africans, but it's also for people who really want to live there, who really want to migrate there because it's possible. Yeah. People and what do you miss the most, actually? Uh, Ooh, man, don't go there. Uh, food, Ugari, man. It's as stupid as it sounds. Ugari plus uh, le lait, but the like the milk, specific milk. And, and then after, ah, yeah. And then Coke, uh, orange, citron, fruito. Like those, fruito. Little, you know what I mean? Fruito. <laughs> yeah, fruito, it's always basic. <laughs> right. Right. I've never been a big fan of Bulgari, but I miss Frito, I miss uh, 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 Les Madeleines, les, les Beignets, les Tumbura. Ah, okay, that, okay, okay. And I miss the scenery, I miss the scenery, the yeah. Latin Cuba, uh, La Place de l'Independence, le, le, le Mausolée, where the, the prince yeah. was buried. Right. That was an amazing view. Uh, when you do uh, road trips in Igenda, in Rumongue, yeah. uh, uh, etc. Yeah, it's, it's uh, sublime, and each region has its own culture uh, around food and around art that I want to go back and sort of uh, learn and eventually document. Maybe this is a joint project that we could do in our, in our future. I mean, I work in tourism, and, and to tell you how many people are really excited about seeing this of Lyon, and I'm like, you haven't seen Burundi, like you haven't seen Bujumbura. So I like to call that, it's like LA, some people live on the hills, some people live near the lake, and it is what it yeah. is. So people get yeah. in the like, really? It's like LA. Yeah. So yeah. without the traffic. So thanks, thanks, thanks a lot for having this conversation. And I really I, I don't know how to say this. It's like you're the first person I interviewed today, and for this podcast as well, but not the last. And and I really hope that you will get to, yeah, to do more, to do more and to Thank you. People will reach out to you. You know what I mean? It's like at the end of the day, people will understand what you do. And I mean, network at its best. <laughs> it can't tell no, it's good. Alex, it was a pleasure. I'm extremely happy and thrilled that we reconnected and that we also found some mutual ground and yeah. ideas where we can be each other's champion and in each other's corner in this yeah. idea of creating new stories and new narratives and inspiring people around the beautiful continent uh, yeah. and places all right so see you next time and uh, stay around take good care take good care and good luck and best uh with all your other interviews i'll be happy to uh also contribute if there are people entrepreneurs across the continent that you're interested in speaking oh, to i'll be happy to make those uh, connections the more the better no, i'd love to hear for my and uh, people listening to this is networking. <laughs> so, this is the next one. We give an example. Thanks so much, man. Cheers. Although I'm thankful for Zoom, I can only be excited when I get to interview people face to face. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and you can connect with Dedo and myself on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or Medium. See you on the next episode.